0: Today, I wanted to talk with you about the Incarnation, because I really think that that's the heart of the Christmas message, and I wanted to begin by reading just a single verse from the first chapter of John's Gospel. It's verse 14. The evangelist tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This last week I was watching an interview with Anthony Bloom, who used to be the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. And the interview asked him a question, which I think is still on a lot of people's minds to this day in our culture. The interview took place decades ago, but I think it's still a question that people are mulling over in their minds, and basically what he asked him is, don't you think it's a problem for Christianity that the church insists that... Christ who became man is the unique God when there's so many deeply religious people who reject that and don't believe it at all. And I'm not quoting Bloom verbatim here, but basically what he said to him in response was, one thing you have to understand about Christianity is that there is a sense in which it is a historical faith. That is to say that it's a faith that's rooted in human history. So that when we talk about doctrines like the incarnation or we talk about the resurrection of the Son of God, these aren't derived from abstract theological first premises, but they are rooted in, like I said, human history, and in that sense they are objective. They are true for those inside the church as well as those outside of the church. And, of course, a deeply religious person can choose to contradict those events just as a deeply irreligious person can choose to contradict those events. But unless such people are able to give good reasons for contradicting those historical events, it doesn't present a problem to the church. And they're certainly not falsified on the grounds of anyone's religiosity or lack thereof. And so they have to be dealt with in a serious way. And, of course, we as Christians, I think, can sometimes be tempted to adopt A superior attitude because we have the truth about God and then look down on those who are outside the church. And I think this same attitude plagued the ancient Jews and it is, of course, very destructive and very unhealthy. And we want to be compassionate and humble about this truth that God has revealed to us. But we also want to be consistent. We want to be consistent in our beliefs and it's sad that the Incarnation is a stumbling block for so many people, but that doesn't change the fact that for us it's a cornerstone. And I remember when I was around 20 years old, I had the privilege of going to Europe. My dad took me to Italy because as a young man, I'd always really admired Michelangelo. I love the Renaissance artists. I think it really was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that turned me on. I don't know if that's what they were aiming at, the makers of that cartoon, but it really did. It got me interested in all the Renaissance artists, and I like Michelangelo the best because he was my favorite mutant ninja turtle. And so I just really wanted to go and see the Sistine Chapel and the Pieta, and I wanted to go see um, the David. And so we went to Rome, and we went to Florence, and we spent ten days there, just me and my dad in Italy. And it really was ten of the happiest days of my life, and I loved just about every minute of it. But one of the things that really struck me when I was in the city of Rome was just how old that city really is. Because I had not really been, I had been to Mexico. But outside of that, I hadn't been outside of America. And if we're talking about American culture, nothing in America is all that old. I mean, if we're talking about the landscape, obviously the Sierra Mountains have been here for a very long time. And, yeah, I understand the Native Americans discovered America before Columbus. But if you're talking about American culture, I guess you can go back east to the Jamestown Settlement, which was, I think, established around the early 1600s. And that's about as old as it gets. But when you're in the city of Rome, you're not just seeing these great works of the renaissance artists you are seeing the ruins of one of the greatest empires that the world had ever known that civilization that ruled the world at the time jesus was born the remains of it are still there and they're thousands of years old and just massively impressive you can see the Colosseum or what's left of it. You can see the ruins. You can see the Pantheon. And it's just amazing to think that they were able to accomplish all of that, build these magnificent buildings without the aid of modern technology. They did not have computers and bulldozers and calculators, and these buildings are just as impressive as anything you're likely to see in modern-day America. Just absolutely blew me away. And it's such a testimony to human accomplishment. But at the same time, they are ruins. And it's simultaneously a testament to human limitation. And I love what G.K. Chesterton wrote Concerning Rome in his book, The Everlasting Man, along these lines that I'm speaking of. He wrote, all the rest of the world was a welter of barbarism. It is essential to recognize that the Roman Empire was recognized as the highest achievement of the human race and also as the broadest. A dreadful secret seemed to be written as in obscure hieroglyphics across those mighty works of marble and stone, those colossal amphitheaters and aqueducts. Man could do no more. And that really sums up the state of the world at the time Jesus was born. Those five words, man could do no more. There was nothing new under the sun. Everything that a man could do had been done before. History had already seen the emergence of great figures like Gautama Buddha, who renounced his royalty and he renounced his riches and even his own native religion to find the meaning of life by escaping suffering and by meditating. And in ancient China... We find the emergence of Confucius, this mastermind ethical thinker who really tried to build a society on a firm and durable moral foundation. And then, of course, you have the great philosophers of ancient Greece. You have Plato and you have Aristotle building their towering systems of thought. And the Roman Empire was the inheritor of all these great religious traditions and these philosophical traditions, if you search the vastness of this universal empire, you could find them represented in some form or another. And it wasn't enough. These pillars of human wisdom, of human virtue, of human genius could not reach the heavens. And it began to become apparent that there was no philosophical system, there was no Formal code of law. There was no meditation and discipline that could save the world from its bondage to corruption, sin, and death. They had done all they could, and it wasn't enough. And in the midst of this vast civilization, we find this tiny people group that were the descendants of Egyptian slaves who lived like nomads for a time and then struggled to build a tiny kingdom on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, constantly having to fight enemies from without and constantly having to deal with corruption from within. But these tiny people were especially blessed and privileged by God. He adopted them. And he elected them, and he gave them a mission to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring them the news of the one true God. And he blessed them with the law, and he blessed them with the prophets and the oracles of God. And surely, surely this group of people that have been so privileged, and so blessed by God, would be able to show humanity the way. But when you open up the book of Isaiah, who is arguably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament period, first chapter, verse 3, he writes, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey knows its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They were God's chosen people, and they were lost. They had been driven into the same cesspool of sin and corruption that was corroding the rest of humanity. And it was this human tragedy and human failure that triggered the greatest act of love and devotion that the world would ever see. God himself would enter into human history in a new and miraculous way. It would be the marriage of heaven and earth. He would introduce into the old creation a new creation. The first Adam, the first man, was created by the Word of God. But the second Adam is the Word of God. The Word of God made flesh. Gautama renounced his riches to escape the world. But Jesus Christ renounced the glories of heaven To save the world. And so we find this little town of Bethlehem. And. In what was likely a cave that had been converted into a stable. A little child is born. Like an outcast. Without a home. And. Chesterton tells us that we see this colossal contrast united, this contrast between divinity and infancy that are brought together in the person of Jesus Christ, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the world has never been the same since. This was the first and greatest Christmas gift, God gave us himself. Man could do no more, but God could. And he did. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And the beauty of the incarnation is it just turns the ideals of the world completely upside down. And it shows us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and that God's ways are not our ways. Take into consideration who are the only people that night who received an invitation to meet the newborn king. Herod the Great obviously didn't receive an invitation. He wanted one, but for the wrong reason. There was no magistrate in the Roman Empire that was given an invitation. Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the world, was not invited. But the lowest lowest of the low, these shepherds who were scratching a living off of rocks, were invited by angels to see the God of glory. I mean, they were considered nobodies. But the miracle of the Incarnation shows us that they weren't nobodies. That they were precious to God. And then you look at this stable where Jesus is born and you think, who among us would suffer one of our children to be born in a stable? What could be more unattractive? What could be more unsanitary? But when you place the infant Jesus in that cave, it becomes a temple of the living God. And we can just keep extending it further and further and further. We could think about Mary, who in the Roman Empire was more insignificant than Mary, who lived in some remote part of the empire, had no education, had no money, just a peasant girl, again, just a nobody. But she wasn't a nobody. She is the mother of the living God. And this is the beauty of that story, is it makes us realize that what's despised and rejected by the world is not despised and rejected by God. He sanctifies our humanity. He sanctifies the outcast and the downtrodden and the marginalized. And we see this great truth of the humility of Almighty God Himself, that the God we worship is not like A tyrant who lords it over his creation. He's like a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And that is a true message of hope and salvation for the whole world. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning by giving you these thoughts and by reminding you that when you can do no more, God can. Let's pray. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us today. And uh, I hope and pray that we would remember you throughout the remainder of this day. That we would be given grateful hearts for everything that you've done for us we pray that we would see your kingdom come and fill up the whole world, God, and we pray that we would see your name proclaimed and praised and raised up in every nation. And I just pray for the life of every individual here in this room this morning, God, that they would be blessed, that they would know you, and know your eternal life and your salvation, as we leave this place this morning i pray that we would be your ambassadors for the kingdom here on earth that your light would shine in us and that we would gladly preach the glory of the christmas message in jesus name we pray amen